1: Welcome in to Episode 7 of the Brutally Honest Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I am joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, and always a legend, Aaron Riley. Aaron, great to talk to you again tonight. I hope you enjoyed your weekend. Uh, hard to believe we're entering June right now. It's June 1st. So it'll be June 2nd tomorrow when you're listening to this. We're also entering our fourth week of podcasting. Um, you know, It feels like we've been at this for about six months, uh, much less about a month, but we appreciate the listeners sticking with us. Nonetheless, uh, we will continue to improve and we'll continue to try out some new things. Anyway, we can make this thing better. Uh, we might try to incorporate some interviews and things like that, but as we enter uh, week four and episode seven and episode eight coming later this week, we just want to take this time to thank you very much for listening. Uh, we appreciate your support as always. And um, honestly, we're taking this thing to the moon. So hopefully you all can enjoy this ride with us.
0: Yeah. Always appreciative for the, for the listeners. Um, finally into June and finally uh, might be turning the corner once again. I mean, I almost feel like I say this every week, you know, sports are, are slowly going to be coming around here. And, and, you know, basically uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel for lack of a better uh, sentence. Sports are coming back one way or
1: another. We are getting sports back soon. Uh, we're getting some golf back this month. We might be getting some baseball back this month. We're getting hockey and basketball, hopefully back in July. So folks, if you're clamming clamoring for live sports. we will be getting it back in some capacity uh, at some point soon. And now for today's topics. Right. The conclusion of our recurring segment, uh, the last dance documentary, the last of the last dance documentary talk, if you will, I'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing about Michael Jordan since we basically dissected most of his career at this point, but folks, let's be real here. It's been the anchor of our content on this podcast for the last few weeks without sports. And honestly, it's been a pretty decent watch. And if anything, hopefully, uh, all this MJ conversation and all these MJ pieces force you to take the time to watch the documentary.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, not not a whole lot else to do. Um, you know, I'd rather tune into sports than tune into the news nowadays, just with everything going on. And I'm not going to go into that at this point. But uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a positive that the uh, documentary came out, and uh, it, it just becomes more and more interesting by week by week. Don't you? Don't you agree with that, Dan?
1: Uh, I I think so and and episodes 9 and 10 were two of the better episodes in my opinion you know chock full of stories that were you know it was fascinating to get see Dennis Rodman again and his antics in the WWE or the WCW as it was called back then Uh, Steve Kerr's relationship with his father and the similarities between MJ and and his father and the alleged real real story behind the flu game uh, the famous flu game of the 98 finals in Salt Lake City and then the ultimate breakup of the Bills and the rebuild that the team is still going through today. So uh, we are not going to waste any time and we are going to uh, get right into it. Yes, it is true. In the middle of the NBA finals after the Bulls won game three of the 1998 finals, Dennis Rodman missed practice to continue taking part in a pro wrestling uh, storyline as member of the world championship wrestlings or WCW's new world order. Uh, when he was allied with Hulk Hogan, um, NBA players and, and fans alike seem to be fascinated by this on social media, but allegedly, I mean, I guess not allegedly, this actually happened. Dennis Rodman skipped the media session the day before game four of the 98 Finals and was fined $20,000. Uh, he was instead paid $250,000 plus the use of a private jet to appear at a WCW show. Uh, when he returned to the Bulls, his teammate, Ron Harper said, I think that makes him a good businessman. I think, Personally, uh, the risk or the reward, I should say, definitely outweighed the risk there. Um, I I think that's hilarious. And, you know, ultimately there was sort of a storyline within WCW back then between him and Carl Malone. And it was kind of funny that um, him and Malone were playing in the finals that year in addition to having a storyline on WCW. But, I mean, we've said this a lot with with Dennis Rodman's index, I feel like, Aaron, but no chance this happens today someone. After the the win in in the finals, after a Game 3 win, there's no chance someone skips practice the next day to go on a private jet uh, to appear on live television in the WWE.
0: No, no, definitely not. I think uh, maybe Allen Iverson would would skip the practice per se, but uh, I don't see him flying on a jet to, uh, you know, Las Vegas or wherever. You know, the only person, like I said, I can really think about it is every time I hear the word practice, it's almost like, it's a given that Allen Iverson's name is going to pop up because of uh, the infamous speech, you know, practice, talking about practice, man. So. Insert AI soundbite here. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. <laughs> it panned out. Uh, he's kind of like a lot of people draw comparisons between Draymond Green and uh, Dennis Rodman, kind of the same type of, type of player on the court. But uh, I think Rodman was a lot more of a just an all-out savage than uh, Draymond Green. Uh, I think Draymond Green cries a little bit too much. Uh, I enjoy watching him play, but uh, yeah, no, nobody felt like Dennis Rodman, and and just it's a, it was a totally different culture uh, back in the when the Bulls were were the team. Fantastic
1: business business decision. I think if I was going to get paid 250k just to appear um, on WCW and hit a couple guys with with a with a few chairs and uh, smoke a cigar with Hulk Hogan, I think I would do that ten times out of out of ten times, and ultimately pay the fine. I think. Uh, in the social media era, uh, things like that would have been scrutinized as well. But it was pretty funny. Within the episode, they showed Dennis Rodman coming back to the facility the next day. And he was basically concocting a plan on how to avoid the media with one of the PR guys and the Bulls. And they essentially concocted a, an escape route uh, for Dennis to get out of the building you know, before the media got to him and chased him down and was able to ask questions and film him and stuff like that. And they showed, they showed his escape and basically ran out the back entrance and up the stairs and um, essentially passed the media. So pretty, pretty crazy that you know he was able to escape the attention, you know, back in the day. And I think ultimately he benefited from not playing in the social media
0: era. In my opinion, yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think he's getting away with half the antics. Um, you know, if he were a modern day player, he'd be uh, all over Twitter, all over Instagram, all over you know any social media platform. Just obviously, people just have anything under the sun to say about him, good, bad, or ugly. Um, but you got to appreciate uh, just the, the type of character Dennis Rodman was and and they just don't make him like like himself anymore
1: they don't make him like
0: they used to and i,
1: I thought we were going to get a break from dennis but uh and his antics but you know you can't really get away from dennis for too long and i think that ultimately puts to rest our dennis talk for uh the last dance and i i would love to see uh maybe a documentary about dennis and his and his life and dive deeper into his antics or maybe it's just him um getting interviewed and, and telling all of his crazy stories because i could honestly listen to that for hours on end. But we'll get into some other stories throughout episodes 9 and 10. We have, we have to guess the flu game here. Uh, for years, we've heard the Jordan's gutsy performance in Game 5 of the 1998 NBA Finals, and um, we've heard that, that it might have been food poisoning and not the flu, as it was famously dubbed back in the day. And during the episode, Jordan and his trainer confirmed that theory, telling the story of ordering a late-night pizza that was delivered by five pizza guys um, who were traveling together. Ultimately, Jordan ate the pizza, um, and then you know, contracted flu-like symptoms later on. I think, you know, MJ apparently had one of his guys order pizza from the only pizza joint that was open after like midnight since it was Salt Lake City in the mid-90s. And when the pizza was finally delivered, um, like like I said, they they claimed that five guys showed up to deliver it, which to me would have been a red flag to not eat the pizza. But either way, MJ then went on to say that he was the only one out of his posse, out of his party in the room to eat the pizza and woke up at like 3 or 4 a.m. with flu-like symptoms. And you know, ultimately, it could barely even function the next day, much less play an NBA basketball game. But if five guys show up to deliver a pizza, how would they have known it was for Michael Jordan? And why not send someone out of your own room to pick it up? I would love to know and get an inside look at how that phone call went. So, Aaron, if you're in Michael Jordan's party or posse, if you're in his room that night, and you're calling a pizza joint at midnight to to get a piece of, to get a slice or get a pie or whatever it was ordered – you don't call them and and mention the Bulls or mention MJ or mention anything about playing basketball at all, do you?
0: I'm um, I'm I don't know. I'm on the fence on that one because unless you know, obviously you're you're in the uh, the away city. You know, maybe these guys are are ruthless and they and they spit in the pizza or they you know let the pizza drop on the ground or something. You know, some of that type of antics goes on before uh, the pizza ultimately arrives at the room. Uh, I I personally I'm not telling them obviously that. Uh, you know, we're with the Chicago Bulls, or it's, you know, it might be a little bit different if it's Michael Jordan. I mean, let's just say, you know, you're, you're, we work at a pizza place, and, and we're in Golden State, and, and LeBron orders a pizza. Even though I, I'm not a huge LeBron guy, I'm not going to sabotage the pizza. That that takes right. it to another level. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's people, there's people out here that uh, would do anything to, to basically uh, give their team an advantage, or Right. Or give them their team an upper hand. So food poisoning, that type of thing. But you know, me personally, you know, you just gotta pretend like you're you're just an average guy. Obviously you don't want Michael Jordan picking up the phone and, and calling calling in the pizza joint and saying, Hey, it's Michael Jordan, by the way. You know, that's, that's not the best idea or the best the best look, but uh, yeah, I, I would I would ultimately deny deny telling the people who exactly we are and, and just order the pizza like I'm an average Joe Schmo.
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know what the room – I don't know why they didn't want to just order room service. Maybe they thought the hotel, since it was in Salt Lake, that they were going to do something to his food. But uh, I find it a little bit hard to believe. But, again, this was produced by Jordan. He got the final say on some things. So I will leave it at that. Uh, moving on to Steve Kerr. Uh, last week we saw some of the more, uh, I guess, fraught moments in Kerr's relationship with, with MJ. But Episode 9 – um, Jordan showed Kerr some respect he dedicated an entire segment of the episode to Steve uh, it was about the loss of his father and uh, you know discusses the role that that Kerr was able to play for you know within Chicago's second three-peat and I think while, while the documentary didn't really go into it I think the bond between Kerr and, and Jordan it was sort of you know built on their common loss uh, if you know obviously Jordan's father we talked about that and then Kerr shared a story, and you know his father was unfortunately killed outside of Lebanon. Uh, he was a professor and, and president of the American University over there in in the Middle East. And uh, you know the the documentary, uh, I guess who you know the producers who were there who were filming Steve Kerr asked if him and him and Jordan had ever shared. Um, you know, moments or ever talked about their dads. He said no, but I I do think there was sort of a connection. There was a relationship. There was definitely unbroken or unspoken bond between the two because of um, this loss. And, you know, I think talking about social media reaction and news that came after the documentary as well, I don't think anyone really knew about Kerr's father. It happened when um, right, right after Steve graduated high school. So before college, before the NBA, before he won NBA championships. And the this, this segment was pretty compelling and, and powerful, and, you know, between the battles that Jordan and Kerr had, Jordan ultimately learned to trust Steve, and like I said, there was definitely an unspoken bond between the two, and you know, th- then they cut to the clip of the 97 finals when MJ's telling Kerr to be ready for, for the shot, because MJ knew he was going to be covered, and um, he knew that someone was going to be open, and, and that somebody was Steve Kerr, and, and you know, Kerr, uh, you know, famously makes the shot. They go on to win in 97, and then Ultimately, in 98, he was a big part of that team as well. I, you know, I just think that was a, a pretty human moment to to get to. And I, like I said, I had no idea, you know, sort of that, that happened to to Steve Kerr and his family and his father. And I really have only known Steve Kerr, the coach. Obviously, I wasn't too old when, you know, 97, 98 happened. So I, I just thought it was a, a, a cool moment sort of that they had between the two of them in, in the 97 finals. I and mean, ultimately, I think, it, you know, Jordan respected Kerr. Uh, because he never really was, was given much. Anything he, he got in his life, he earned. Um, I think MJ was, was brought up the same way.
0: You know, something obviously Jordan can, uh, you know, has that in common, unfortunately, losing his father then. Um, you know, it's something that's, you know, I can't imagine the the pain going through that, especially in in the public eye. I mean, when it happened to Michael Jordan, you know, he was pretty much in the prime of his career. So absolutely emotion, you know, heart-wrenching, uh, derailing. That type of thing. So that that bond, I think, really helped Jordan. I'm not gonna say Steve Kerr was as big as you know Scottie Pippen, but definitely a, a key piece uh, to the to those championships. And uh, you know, having that that person to go to, you know, when when something like that something that catastrophic happens, you know, definitely uh, you know helped Jordan get through the the hard times. And and you know, no one no one's invincible in this life. And unfortunately, bad things happen to to good people. No matter no matter who you are fortunately, it seems like.
1: Absolutely. Um, so that, that was a compelling segment that we, we thought it was good to point up, And, you know, obviously the, the Bulls win 98 and, and basically the, the documentary dubbed The Last Dance. And I think everybody at that point had, you know, seen a lot of MJ's career, seen all of the highlights, seen all the highs, the lows, um, seen the first retirement, you know, saw the whole Space Jam era of him getting back in the game, saw the baseball and everything like that. I think in myself included, we were basically wanting to get, you know, sort of how, how it ended, how – did this super team, how did this dynasty ultimately break up? So they went win, the, win the 98 finals and then they have Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bills, basically talking about how he wanted to extend Phil Jackson. He wanted to keep the team together and he wanted to um, have another run of the team. And Phil Phil ultimately was like, you know, Kraus, Jerry Kraus does not want to extend this team. He He's made it clear. He wants me out. He's made it clear. He wants to rebuild. He thinks he can build this team back up again and wants to start fresh. So, Phil left the team. Uh, Michael Jordan retired. Scotty was traded uh, on, a, on a sign trade to Houston. Steve Kerr left the team and joined the Spurs. Dennis Rodman left the team. So uh, I, I think it's it's definitely a shame and, and and probably one of you know the you know the, it was definitely the biggest mistake in, in Bulls history to to disband this team. And um, do you think they could have went for a seventh or at least they should have or do you think they should have had the opportunity to go for the seventh ring there in, in ninety nine two thousand?
0: Yeah, I think. We allude to, uh, on this show, we, we definitely talk about, um, you know, we're, we're kind of in support of the players in most cases. And, and once again, you're going to have this, this opportunity here where uh, one of the best, probably the best team of all time in, in the NBA history, just from a dynasty perspective, uh, everybody about in their prime still, um, you know, having the chance to, to go on and win multiple, multiple more championships. I think maybe they get to 10 even, you know, that maybe that's a possibility. Uh, you know, just get that snatched out from underneath of them is, is devastating. And obviously, the, the amount of success they had was, uh, you know, unprecedented. But uh, at the same time, I think they could have accomplished much more, and, and we'll never know. And and that's just the the hard truth of, of the matter. And it's it's definitely they definitely got shortchanged, and and that's just not right. But life goes on, I guess. It, it just it's a shame that, that Jordan had the result in, in going to a different team really after after you know, everything changed and it's just, it's, it's, it's a sad story for me. I mean, I, I don't know, not to say that, uh, you know, when I see the Patriots win all these Super Bowls, it's, it's one of those things where I, I get sick of it and it's super repetitive, but um, it just would have been cool for the, for the history of the sport to see, you know, how long could they have really have gone, uh, you know, on that extreme success run.
1: I, I agree. And I, I do think they ultimately should have had that shot to go for a seventh and potentially after that go for an eighth. I, you know, if, if they would have lost that, that finals, I do think it would have tarnished Jordan's legacy a little bit. You know, he has six championships. He's famously 6-0 and in NBA finals. I think that that record and, and that flawless record or that is definitely preserved and, and stood up over time. And anytime LeBron loses a title or is in, in the finals, I feel like people always point back to the, oh, Jordan 6-0, and Jordan 6-0. and And everyone always counts LeBron's, you know, finals losses and things like that. And, you know, when people talk, Kobe and Michael, you know, everyone talks how, you know, Kobe is five Jordan has six. So I think too, uh, you know, also, you know, Jordan definitely would have wanted a chance to go back and he said he wanted, would have wanted a chance to run it back and go again in, um, in 99. But ultimately I do think that it helped to preserve his legacy a little bit, but uh, that's definitely a conversation that has been had over the last 20, 20 odd years. But, you know, I, I just think, you know, capping off the last dance talk here was, I definitely, you know, think that fans and players and, The internet, were appreciative of of the documentary, and it gave a lot of people, I mean, I think I talked about this when we first debuted the segment on the podcast, it gave myself and um, a lot of other people in our generation a chance to get an inside look to who MJ was, his career, who his supporting cast was, um, Phil, you know, Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinstorf, just get a feel for um, how how it was back then, how the NBA was back then, and how much it's grown in the last 21, 22 years, and I definitely think it came at, at, at the right time for sure. Know, came in time during you know a pandemic and quarantine when people are looking for an escape or looking for a mental vacation and ultimately um trying to find a way to get away and and you know having these you know two episodes per week on on Sundays were were great and you know I think um it would definitely be welcomed if, if there were more episodes to to say the least so ultimately it gave us a lot of good content to talk about um I I enjoyed seeing an inside look to his career and not even not even touching on the the goat debate, obviously um Jordan is one of, if not the greatest player of all time, and we definitely got to see his mentality and see a superstar up close and I don't think we get too many opportunities like that in life so even if you're not a sports fan even if you're not a basketball fan or even if you hate mj for some reason i definitely recommend watching it it's like i said it's rare to see superstardom uh up close like
0: yeah the uh not many people probably have seen this one but uh there was a documentary by spike lee he did uh kobe doing work that's one of those things too, where even if you're not a kobe fan that that was one of the things i watched uh, you know now years ago, probably over a decade ago at this you know definitely opened my eyes to to how Kobe Bryant operates and, and same type of deal it's it's more so uh, if you can adapt these mindset qualities that these people have that no, no matter how you feel about those those players personally you know whether it be LeBron Kobe or or MJ there's always something you can learn and, and apply to your your normal life that, that might change things you know drastically when when you thought you know th- these things just maybe apply to sports it- it's more than that and I think these people definitely uh definitely work on an efficient level and and just are are laser focused in, in their craft and it's it's kind of amazing to see it at, at such a high level and and just on display definitely and, and as
1: I said before in previous episodes you can find that on ESPN.com it was an ESPN production and Getting to another ESPN production here. We had some Monday night football news hit the airwaves over the last few months. Uh, Good old Booger McFarland, uh, the man in the booth uh, was interviewed by the athletic and gave us an inside look into his time on the sidelines in the booth during his two year stint on Monday night football and on their broadcast. He talked about a wide range of topics, including how he dealt with backlash and scrutiny um, that he received and that Jason Witten and and Joe Testar received on a daily basis from fans and, um, the speed in which you have to be able to deliver as a color guy, obviously that was, you know, it's, it's difficult for everyone, especially coming from the studio um, into the booth. It's definitely a, a massive change. And talked about Jason Witten to agree and then talked about his comfort level ultimately as being in the studio and in that type of role. And I, I think, too, uh, you know, ESPN has been clamoring and trying to get a, a, a duo or a trio that has worked. Um they haven't really had it since it was Mike Tarico and, and John Gruden. I think that was had to be you know four or five years ago at this point. Um obviously Gruden's now at the Raiders, but you know, him and Mike Tarico were a dynamic deal, and I think ESPN has been trying to find um, a duo or a trio, as I said, that works for them. Obviously they've tried to trade for Al Michaels, they've tried to sign uh Peyton Manning, they've tried to sign Drew Brees. Um, and obviously none of that has worked out. So we'll get into some other names here, but just just touching on you know, Jason Witten, Booger McFarland, Joe Tessitore. How do you think they fared as a team, Aaron? Um, and do you think this was the right move uh, by ESPN to move on from Booger and and Tessitore and move in a different direction?
0: I do. Uh, me personally, I thought I thought the uh, the whole crew was a little stale. Uh, I like Jason Witten when he was on the air. When he was, excuse me, when he was on the air, if I can uh, get my tongue to roll there. But uh, regardless, <laughs> yeah, Booger. I don't know if if you go on ESPN and, and you kind of click down any posts uh everybody seems to rip into booger which i don't think that's <laughs> extremely deserving uh you know i think that's a little bit hardcore and extreme but i just thought booger was uh he's just kind of vanilla to me i i don't know he didn't do anything as far as uh groundbreaking or anything like that i i definitely go back to, to your point when you say mike Tarico and john gruden i think that was the best monday night crew they've had in probably decades i remember yeah when when Tony Kornheiser was on there and it was an absolute absolute joke uh you know maybe Booger McFarland's a slight upgrade I'm not even going to go that far I mean I just think he was he wasn't the best best man for the job but I'd love to see like a Rex Ryan maybe on the on the crew or something like that you know some somebody with a little bit more fire than than Booger he's kind of like I said he's kind of vanilla to me you know nothing against him like personally but uh kind of bland and and you know, I think I think ESPN knows what they're doing to a certain extent. I mean, I think they've tried a lot of different, you know, moving pieces in in that crew. And a lot of it hasn't worked uh, in the last couple of years. But uh, as far as, um, you know, uh, John Gruden was probably one of the better ones. And then after that, it just kind of went downhill. So just kind of curious to see what's going to change.
1: If you get Rex Ryan on that broadcast, we'll be hearing a lot of foot jokes. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I'm surprised to hear that you like Jason Witten. Uh, I personally, you know, Jason Witten's a nice guy. I'm not a fan of the Cowboys. I was never a fan of him on the field. He was obviously a great player. He's one of the best tight ends of all time. I just thought he was absolutely terrible.
0: Wow. Yeah. See, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about uh about Booger. Uh, but you know, regardless. I didn't think Jason Witten was a was a standout either. I just thought he he was average. I would say he wasn't. I don't know. I just think they need to jazz it up a little bit more. Um, as far as you know, a, a lot of people hate Joe Buck, and I don't really understand why. You know, that's just me personally. But uh, right. I think Joe Joe Buck does a decent job, and I think he has, and he he's been consistent for quite some time. There, I don't know. Other than Rex Ryan, or uh, you know, maybe like a Ray Lewis that type of thing, that would be kind of exciting. Maybe maybe you get wayne the rock johnson if you pay you know out the wazoo for him for a season or something like that 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 would be that'd be must must watch tv but uh yeah i don't know i don't know which direction they go from here
1: the Rock, the rock is certainly a name uh, i'll throw some more names at you since apparently uh they can only look for internal candidates due to COVID budget restraints but
0: are you familiar with with pat mcafee's work at all yeah no pat i but do you think Pat McAfee could keep it PG thirteen on the air? That that's my concern there. I I
1: think he could, and I think he would. You know, if you look at like his YouTube views, he does that Daily Show on Design and then he has that radio show on Westwood One. Like he'll he'll post segments on his YouTube, and he'll get like hundreds of thousands of views. I just think, especially with our generation, with like I don't know, anywhere from eighteen to twenty four to like twenty five to like thirty five, I just think he would crush in that in that demographic. And he did college football last year. He was on. Um, Hasselback team and and Hasselback's team and, and the two of them would travel around and um, do the broadcast and I I thought they were really good and you know they would do a Thursday night college football so I wouldn't you know tune in a ton obviously but it could be a PG thirteen I think you know, he ha- he has to anyway in the radio I think he did ESPN college football last year he had to give a PG thirteen there I just think he you know I'm not only really a huge fan of Pat McAfee I just think he would be a severe upgrade over a guy like Booger who was vanilla over a guy like Jason Whitney who was pretty vanilla. And I think ultimately he could turn into some, you know, a guy who like Gruden, like he played the game at, the, at a high level. Uh, you know, he, he talks for a living. I, th- I think he'd be entertaining more than anything else and keeping a PG 13, maybe there'd be a couple slip ups here and there, but I certainly think ESPN
0: could do a lot worse than hire Pat McAfee. Ladies and gentlemen, if you need broadcaster, uh, basically analysis uh, there's nobody nobody's going to shortchange you that's named Daniel So I'll, I'll say that you know for him to pull all this out to, to say that that Pat McAfee covered college football you know that absolutely did not know that um, you know you learn something <laughs> new every single day you know with that with that being said uh, you know I believe in in your uh, your analysis wholeheartedly and and maybe Pat McAfee's the guy for the job uh, I'm not a big I don't know man I, there's a lot of people on the a lot of people on ESPN that you know maybe I'm just being a little bit too harsh but you know I, I think like a Mike Greenberg extremely vanilla to me uh you know I could fall asleep listening to Mike Greenberg I think uh Matt Hasselback I mean yeah uh yeah Hasselback uh just Hasselback brothers vanilla Exactly yeah yeah I'm really thinking of Tim Tim at this point but uh yeah just absolutely just a snoozer uh I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't I don't know I it's just it best. there's just not a not a huge talent pool to, to pick from. I gotta uh, I mean, gotta
1: tell you the ESPN talent pool does not get you out of bed in the morning. Uh, besides Pat McAfee, I, I like you said it's a it's a cast it's a crew full of vanilla people and that are just gonna push the company line and not make too many waves and and not be entertaining and not be funny and you know if I'm watching you know Jaguars Broncos on a Monday night football game. I'm probably not going to tune in unless someone like Pat McAfee is keeping me entertaining and making me laugh. That's just the bottom line. That's just the state of of my lack of an attention span is. And I feel like a lot of people in our generation coincide with that belief as well. And like I said, I'm not the, I'm not the biggest Pat McAfee fan. I think a lot of the stuff he does is for views and and a lot of the stuff he does is for clickbait and things like that, but he would be funny. And I think he would be himself. Whereas you get a guy like, you know, like Dan Orlovsky or Lewis Riddick. And they're basically just going to be another suit up there. And they're going to give good insight and stuff like that. And they're going to tell me why the offensive line ran left when defensive lineman ran right and all this BS that I don't really need to hear. And Pat's just going to be an electric guy. And I don't know. That's just what I think. And we don't really spend too much more time on this. But if ESPN wants to
0: figure it out, they would listen to this
1: podcast, I'll tell you that much.
0: Yeah, they, uh, they continue to turn the shoulder on us and, you know, I kind of do the same for them as many opportunities as I can. At, at the end of the day, let, let me throw one one name out there and and I'll get let you go. I'll let you go for a minute and then, you know, we can move on from this. But uh what about Max Kellerman on on the Monday Night Crew?
1: What do you what do you think? Absolutely not. Wow.
0: <laughs> Absolutely
1: you know? not. I'd rather skip up there than Max.
0: Oh, hey, don't be don't be disrespectful to Skip now, man. Skip. Skip. Skip skip. Skip skip. Skip skip. Skip but you know what? Skip. Skip. Skip, Skip. Skip. Skip skip.
1: I just gave a compliment. I said he's better than Matt. I would, hey hey yeah, yeah. hey, if we if we had a booth of Pat McAfee, Stephen A, and I guess play by play, maybe like a Chris Fowler, that would be Electric City.
0: That would be Chris I'm talking play by play, there there's hardly anybody that does better than uh, I would say Chris Fowler at this Chris point. Chris Fowler and,
1: and Kirk Herbstreit, they do college. I do the college national championship, college football playoff, all the big college games, college game day, all that stuff. They'd be really good, I think, on Monday night football. If you throw a, an entertaining sideline reporter with with the two of them up in the booth that'd be fantastic
0: I, I wholeheartedly agree with that I think they they do a good enough job and and they do they do a good bit of analysis uh, um, but but Kirk it's not not bad to listen to uh, in comparison to to really everybody else that I can really think of uh Troy Aikman you know I think he's a little bit stale as well not not a bad guy I think he's He's probably a good person, uh, but not, not the best to listen to. So, he, like, he, I said, like I said, maybe I'm just a little bit too harsh. But, uh, yeah, especially on the ESPN network, there's a lot of people that I – Abumani Jones. I mean, I, I just don't understand some of these people, how they can't continue to hold positions at that at that company. I'll be honest with you. But,
1: you, you, you don't understand why they're still there? You don't understand why ESPN can't find a role for them?
0: I don't think they're – as far as uh, just entertainment value, I think oh, okay. Stephen A., Stephen A uh, obviously he's there's a lot of things I don't agree with that Stephen A says but he definitely brings the entertainment value oh, yeah. without without question so 100%. So I don't know but yeah it, we we can, we can move on from that. It's just I I agree with you and in, in the Pat McAfee point. Uh I'm not I'm not huge on him but he is uh he's electric and I think they need that cuz I think they've suffered from from no electricity whatsoever um just living living the Amish life there a couple the last couple years in the booth so Hey, living, living the Amish life ain't too bad sometimes.
1: Uh, <laughs> moving on here to the MLB. Uh, last week I had some strong words for the MLB. Uh, I apologize if that offended you and yours, but uh, we have some developments. I will try to explain them and um, lay them out for you tonight. Basically last night, so, so, so you're listening to this Tuesday, Sunday night, we're recording Monday, Sunday night, the MLB PA came back with their plan. They're proposing – a full prorated salary for 114 games. Um, Monday afternoon, uh, the MLB turned it around and said, we want to do 50 or 60 games, basically half, uh, almost half of the 114 game season. We want to start June 30th uh, with full prorated salaries as well. So they're definitely still at odds a little bit. Um, I'll let Aaron go off and um, spice it up here with some other facts since he's more closely aligned to this than I am, but, I just think it, it's pretty, you know, still a little bit surprising that they're this far apart. Um, and But, all, you know, also, too, it is encouraging because it, you know, the owners are, are proposing a start of June 30th. It's obviously at the end of this month. Um, this recording is June 1st. So if they're going to start June 30th, in my mind, they probably have to come to a deal by the end of this week, maybe at the latest early next week. But I'll let you go on this, Aaron, and then I'll sprinkle in some questions here and there.
0: Sure. So there, there's been now multiple proposals. Uh, really, a couple that, that come to mind are, one of those being that the, the, the uh, team owners proposed the 82-game the season, uh, basically a universal designated hitter. And then you have 30-man 30, 30 active rosters uh, right. with basically uh, 20 more. Uh, basically, they call it a taxi squad, which you know, kind of an interesting name there. But, you know, I guess guys that, that can be, like, filled in, you know, basically on, on the day of the game, that type right. of thing. It's, it's a lot of fluctuation with that. Uh, and then 14 teams total in the playoffs in the in the postseason landscape. Uh, and then these these games are going to be played in the home cities in come October. So uh, you know, hopefully that that means, you know, I, I can't imagine October baseball without crowds of some sort. I don't right. know how they're going to do it. That's kind of the proposal from the from the team owners. And then basically the players c- come back with this uh, the plan for 114 game regular season basically that runs through October. So uh, basically a pretty, pretty long season, you know, you're not missing a ton of games, like 40 or so games off of a, of a regular, you know, uh, regular season uh, without COVID involved, obviously. But uh, uh fr- from what I'm reading about that, and, and what I'm looking into there, it, it sounds like uh, players have the option to opt out of this proposed season. Um, obviously, this is something that it sounds proposed. It's nothing set in stone, and, and anything can change from here until they have an agreement, which I doubt the owners are even going to allow uh, an opt-out for for a season. That just sounds utterly really ridiculous. Basically, that, that concludes, you know, those two proposals. Those have come up in, in the public view uh, within the last week or so. Uh, the 82-game season's been floating around for about a month. But, uh, yeah, the, this player-proposed season, kind of interesting that they want it longer. I don't know if they just want more uh, spring training games and those are going to factor into the, to those extended games, or if they want those, all those games to count. Uh, I think obviously they're chasing the money and, and they want to be a paid for uh, like a pro rated season where it's longer than 82 games. Cause you're going to be right. cut in half from a, from a player, player payment perspective. But uh, uh, basically, yeah, th- those are the, the two biggest ones. And then, for this second spring training teams are, are supposed to receive a hundred million. I don't really know how that's going to be, you know, accounted for if baseball is going to hand out that money similar to like a, a stimulus, like the, the government has, or, or if uh, you know, it's going right to the players or, or how that's working. But uh, that, those are the latest proposals that I've read about. Um, you can definitely touch on if you, if you've seen something different at, at this stage.
1: No, I think you laid that out pretty well. Um, I think the opt out, plan or the opt-out clause within the players proposal is pretty interesting to me uh you know if, if let's say you know if they're playing the 50 to 60 game uh season and a guy is you know who's making five mil typically gets what like you know two like a, a fifth of, of what he usually makes and what if he takes his talents over to the you know let's say he goes in Korea or goes to Japan and plays over there and you know makes exponentially you know more money than he would have over in in the MLB under this prorated salary do you think we could see see something like that or, you know, I, I just don't see, like you said, the owners agreeing to something like that. And I think it's fascinating the players would even, you know, try to sneak it in. There's definitely gonna have to be some give and take here either way. I don't think, you know, one side over the other is going to be completely satisfied with with one plan when they finally decide to to put something on paper here. But I just think it's fascinating from an opt opt out perspective that, you know, we could basically have someone say, No, I'm not gonna play this year. I'm gonna go play somewhere else for, for more money. And probably less games as well, even if they're reducing to 50 and 60 games. Um, But I I think that's fascinating from,
0: from an opt out perspective, for sure. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Uh, I think, so from that perspective, I I don't think really the owners are going to allow that to happen. I mean, I hope and pray that this doesn't turn into some type of like a strikeout season. Like they had, you know, years ago where it was players on strike. I mean, it, if they if they don't get together soon ish you know within three weeks or so and, and they can't seem to uh, see eye to eye on the, on these type of things then I could definitely see you know the season being suspended I, I sure hope that doesn't happen. a lot of speculation is going into uh, basically the, the players not getting close to what they want as far as from a, a money perspective and then and then the, these games it sounds like the league wants to play less games obviously open up the playoffs for a, a larger amount of teams to get in definitely interesting I, I don't know I I think uh, they're gonna have to meet somewhere in the middle I, I don't really see them you know th- these pay cuts if they're gonna make like a fifth or sixth of what they normally make I don't think they're, they're gonna agree to that I just don't see that happening from a realistic perspective from the players so uh, MLB is gonna have to kind of swallow this one a little bit at some point they're gonna if they pay them that pro rated salary and they play 115 games or something like that I think that'd be super interesting Uh, I'd still like to see the extended playoffs I know that that creates the possibility for for more injuries and things like that and fatigue and things but you know just from an excitement perspective I think that would be the best thing to happen but as as a Baltimore Orioles fan uh, Adam Jones actually is playing in Japan I don't know if they're, they're having their regular season right now I I'm not an expert on Japan baseball, but uh, he actually left the MLB to, to go play over there. Oh, wow. So, he, he had announced this before all the, the COVID. Um, obviously, everything came down with that. Right. But, uh, you know, pretty good pretty good center fielder and, and, you know, a guy that's been in multiple all-star games, leaves for, for Japan. I. You know, other players have done it in the past, and and there's players in the NBA, NBA, in the NBA that have uh, gone overseas. You know, have have kind of developed careers over there. Um, so I don't think it's far-fetched. I just think MLB is going to give a little bit, and uh, I don't. I'm, so far, they're not really trying to, to do any of that. Say what you want. That's fantastic analysis
1: by my guy Aaron here. I'm not even going to attempt uh, to talk further about this plan. But as a Yankees fan and as a fan of the game um but as an Orioles fan I will ask you did you see that um they were featuring Derek Jeter heavily on the MLB network this past weekend
0: I did not I I do not have the MLB network unfortunately currently but uh yeah I mean were they taking shots at him being you know not the best uh not the best general manager down there in Miami or was it a showcase of his his owner
1: first of all owner first of all uh it was a showcase uh basically highlights they started with uh Yankees, Mets, and they went on to Red Sox, Yankees in in July, uh, July first, two thousand four, when Jeter leaped headfirst into the stands, and then a great game, um, Orioles at Yankees, September eleventh, two thousand nine, when Jeter broke Gehrig's all-time hits record, uh, and then you know they they ended with Orioles, Yankees, September twenty fifth, twenty fourteen, when Jeter hits a walk-off um, against the O's in his last his last game in Yankee Stadium, so. You know, as an Orioles fan, I guess it's tough to see that Jeter, uh, Jeter has uh, ripped your heart out time and, and time again. And, you know, it was one of the, the game's best shortstops, but it's a shame. It's a shame. Maybe we can get back to actual baseball, and maybe this time it will be Glaber Torres or Aaron Judge or Stan ripping the hearts out of an Orioles fans instead of Derek Jeter.
0: Yeah, Aaron Judge. If I'm not mistaken, Aaron Judge absolutely crushes the Orioles as far as, like, a, from a lifetime batting percentage perspective. It's actually,
1: Glaber Torres murders you guys. I know that, yeah, that, yeah, but I, I don't it's know. It's Labor
0: Day every time he plays the Orioles. Yeah, it, it's. I, I knew, I knew that Jeter's uh, last home game when when he played the Orioles. I just, I knew if he got up in that ninth inning, it wasn't going to go well. And and of course that, the walk off and you know it just I don't know. It, it's happened time and time again. I, I'm not a Jeter hater. I think there's a lot out there. I think uh, it definitely slipped my mind that he's the owner of the Marlins because it doesn't seem like you know, owner, general manager, whatever, I'll, I'll take a little shot at him that uh, he can figure anything out down there in uh, in Miami, but, you know, not to, not to take a uh, fire, fire away from his career. Uh, obviously, you know, excellent player, Hall of Famer, Mr. Clutch, time and time and time again, uh, just came up with a big hit. So no matter how many times he's beaten the Orioles, uh, you know, beating them to a pulp, uh, you know, I got respect for him. And I don't think he's a, a bad dude by any means.
1: And what Aaron is not telling you is that he's still mad at Derek Jeter for 2009 when Aaron was still a closet Phillies fan. Uh, he's mad at Jeter for that world series W, but that's a different topic for a different podcast.
0: <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I used to pull for the Phillies when I was, when I was younger. And then I don't know, I started watching more and more baseball and I I couldn't take the uh, I couldn't take seeing the pitcher go up there and try and hit it. It was absolutely a, a joke. And, you know, all those, all those baseball historians out there, you know, I'll gladly have that argument with you. I'll take off work if I have to, you know, it's worth, uh, it's worth me going, you know, head to head with you on, on that talk. Cause there's certainly people out there that still think the pitcher should hit. And then I just think it's utterly ridiculous in, in 2020, the pitchers trying to hit when, you know, they're, they're hitting a, a buck 70 or not even they're hitting 0.76 uh, on the season. And, you know they're down by three runs, and then they try and lay down a bunt in in the sixth or seventh inning. It's ridiculous. I mean, you're not gonna. That's never gonna work. So, um, you know, I, I I like the Orioles, and know, uh, it's I always I'm an underdog fan. So, it just being in that division is painful year after year. But uh, you know, when we when we were in the playoff landscape, it was it was great to watch. So,
1: I'm with you, man. At least we'll probably get to see DHs in both leagues this year, but. I think that caps it off, Aaron. Um, thank you again to the listeners. As always, you can find us on Spotify and Apple and Google Play and wherever you honestly find your podcast. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Um, continue to stick with us as well. Once sports come, come, you know, comes back in, in full force and fruition as we get to deeper in the summer here and, and and into the fall as well, we'll be chock full of content and have chock full of you know content and things to talk about and a lot of topics you know thrown your way. So. Thank you very much for, for sticking with us to this point, as I said. And, Aaron,
0: as always, take us home. Yeah, obviously, just just like you had touched on, uh, not a whole lot to talk about. It's really these uh, negotiations between the leagues and things like that uh, at this point. So, uh, you know, one week closer, I'm hoping, and one week closer to, to normalcy, but now. Obviously, more and more things are developing in this ever-changing world. So, um, you know, just hopefully this is a, an outlet where you can plug in and, and just kind of not think about everything else that's going on unfortunate uh, negativity that's going on. It seems like everywhere, unfortunately. So, you know, with that being said, you know, always always appreciative of, of everybody tuning in and, and we'll continue to pump out what content we do have. Take it some